Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The opinions expressed by the host and guests on the Cyberspace Sanctuary do not necessarily reflect those of the ownership and management of the Blake Radio Network. Cyberspace is the place that only a human being locates Where there's so much information to chase There you enter an entirely new phase Once you get on the internet Become World Wide Web It's a new Welcome world to the Cyberspace Sanctuary A safe house for your mind I'm your host and facilitator Junius Ricardo Stanton, inviting you to stay tuned for interesting interviews, news you can use, and programming designed with you in mind. Free your mind, the rest will follow, right here on the Cyberspace Sanctuary, on the Blake Radio Network, Rainbow Gold. Cyberspace is the place. Cyberspace is the place. Darkness no longer, a child is born. Mother shed tears of joy. As baby tests his lungs My daddy's not there Where he ought to be Somewhere in Georgia Skinning and shooting craps on his knees Another victim born Out here in the hood And based on statistics It really ain't all good Welfare takes the town And daddy can't sign And it can't be seen the family becomes a crime The hunt is on And brother you're the prey Serving time in jail It just ain't the way I'm living so hard baby That my hair's gray We got to make a change It's a brand new day A new world order A brand new day It's a new a day change of mind For the human race Operation in flux, and it's on the way. We just marched a million plus the other day. Look, look, we all witnessed the sweat rolling down Miss Liberty's head. She knows the sleeping giant's no longer sleeping dead. Oh, what a fulfillment of prophecy 
Let us teach the children Freedom's never been free It's okay to cry Go ahead and cry Cause Jesus went But hope and faith be kept It's a new day A world order A brand new day It's a new day The die has been cast, and there's no need to fear. Cause people, the answer to your prayers are here. Sister Mary, don't you weep. Tell mother not to moan. We need the love, and that is coming home. There's no need to worry. The times dictate a plan. Mother Earth has given birth to a brand new man. Sister, I know you've misunderstood But hold on to your man Cause the future looks good It's a new day A new world order A brand new day It's a new a change day. of mind For the human race It's a new world order A brand new day It's a change of mind Beware of the lies and false prophecy We are men with eyes, but don't all really see You must be merciful, my friend, to obtain the same So if you break the chain, don't pass the blame We should say unto all, and I'll say it again It's not just a win, shake a hand, make a friend we who are pure at heart somehow might see There's still light in the world, come rejoice with me It's a new day A new world order, a brand new day It's a, a change of mind for the human race It's a, a new world order, a brand new day A change of mind for the human race It's a new day, it's a new day Professor Griff, you're listening to Junius, Ricardo Stan. Straight up, we're teaching you all those things you need to know from the neck up, all right? We're definitely doing a checkup from the neck up. This is Professor Griff from Public Enemy, the ex-minister. I'm out. Peace. Welcome to the Cyberspace Sanctuary, a safe house for your mind. On the Blake Radio Network's Rainbow Soul, talk radio at its best. 
My name is Junius Ricardo Stanton. I'm your host and facilitator, and we welcome you to another edition of the Cyberspace Sanctuary. We started off the program with Curtis Mayfield, New World Order, and we are in confrontation with the powers of evil who are attempting to establish a new world order that runs contrary to the laws of nature, spiritual principles, and the best interests of humanity. And our guests will share information about the New World Order, its plans, some of its negativity, and we'll discuss ways that we can undermine their agenda and build and reestablish a sane and whole humanity. Her name is Catherine Austin Fitz, and we'll speak with her following these messages. So don't go anywhere. You're logged on to the Cyberspace Sanctuary, a safe house for your mind on the Blake Radio Network's Rainbow Soul. If you are enjoying the programming here on the Blake Radio Network, please log into our website at www.blakeradio.com. Then click on Rainbow Soul and sign up to help keep this venue alive for only 19 cents a day. In order for us to keep bringing you this radio station, we need your support. So log into BlakeRadio.com, then click on Rainbow Soul and sign up for only 19 cents a day to help keep this radio station on the air. Rainbow Soul. Talk radio at its best. We'd like to welcome everybody checking in from Real Media Player, from Windows Media Player, from iTunes. We want to encourage everyone to log into our website, which is blakeradio.com, and become familiar with how you can access our broadcast directly from our website. And vice versa, those of you who check in directly from the Blake Radio Network, become familiar with how you can also access us through Real Media Player, through Windows Media Player, and iTunes by logging into their radio tuner guides and doing a search for us in the talk radio genre. You're listening to Rainbow Soul, talk radio at its best. Hi, I'm Junius Ricardo Stanton, inviting you to join me in financially supporting the Blake Radio Network on a regular basis. We need your continuing patronage to help the Blake Radio Network remain alive and thriving both now and well into the future. There are several easy ways you can send your contribution. To use PayPal, click on the help link on the Blake Radio Network's website at www.blakeradio.com or you can go directly to the PayPal website and click the send money link. Type in rainbowsoul at blakeradio.com as the email address and unlimited ventures as the payee. Then follow the instructions. To send a check or money order, make it out to Unlimited Ventures, care of Neil Blake, and mail it to 73 Ireland Place, that's I R E L E N D Place, Suite 109, Amityville, A M I T Y V I L L E, New York 11701. It's easy, painless, and uncomplicated. And you'll feel great after doing it. 
knowing you're keeping the Blake Radio Network alive and on the cutting edge of media technology. I'm Junius Ricardo Stanton, thanking you in advance for your support. Our guest is a dear friend of mine, Catherine Austin Fitz. She's a writer. She's an activist. She's a a change agent. She's here on this planet at this time to share ways to make a difference economically, socially, spiritually, politically. And her experiences to date have given her the wisdom, given her the experience, and given her the strength to carry on because this is going to be a gargantuan effort. And so it's my extreme pleasure to welcome Catherine Austin Fitz back to our program. Hey, sister, how you doing? Genius, always a pleasure. I hope it's not as cold and chilly as it is in Tennessee. <laughs> well, it warmed up a little bit. It's not. It's not single digits. Hmm. Oh, it's been cold. In, anyway, in fact, so. it was in its thirties today, and the sun was shining. It was like almost like springtime. But whenever I talk with you, it's like talking with sunshine. So you'll warm me <laughs> up. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Share your background. Tell us a little bit about you. Uh, you. I know you went to school in Philadelphia. I don't know whether or not you were born and raised in Philadelphia. Yeah, no, I grew up in Philadelphia. In fact, 48th and Larchwood. And, um, and I left to go to college and then came back, uh, halfway through. I studied, I went to a two year college and then studied in Hong Kong for a year and then came back and graduated from the university of Pennsylvania and then worked in various, uh, restaurants and bars around Philadelphia. And then, went to Wharton and got my MBA and then went to Wall Street and had a very, very interesting and wonderful career in Wall Street, was a partner and member of the board of Dillon Reed and Company, and then went to work in the first Bush administration as the FHA Commissioner, Assistant Secretary of Housing, and left, uh, you know, I just really, the corruption was getting much worse. <laughs> we <laughs> we really had quite a fight at HUD about, you know, whether we we're going to run a clean or dirty anyway. So I left and started my own company, and I came out of the Bush administration thinking, oh, you know, the fascists are going to get a hold of this technology and destroy us all. So I was very inspired by what I had learned in the administration, and, you know, the Internet and web was just developing. So I thought, how can we take this technology and re-engineer how capital flows and really get government money out of our lives. I always say, you know, if you first want to, if you want to destroy people, first subsidize them and then you sort of got them over the barrel. And and so I was a big believer that we needed to turn, you know, to we needed to rebuild local control in communities, but where we develop small business and entrepreneurship. So, um, we started a company that was very successful, and then we went, we ran right smack into the Gary Webb Dark Alliance problem because the we were publishing uh, GIS software maps of money in places and starting data servicing sites in low-income communities. And the reality is, when you bring transparency to the money flows in those communities, what you see is you know, it's not the American people right, dealing right, drugs so much right. as it's the American government. And the banking system is very dependent and Wall Street's very dependent on those cash flows. And so uh, it wasn't, it took me many years to kind of figure out what was going on because as Gary Wick was publishing his Dark Alliance story, we were publishing 
the maps of South Central LA that showed that, you know, drug money was being laundered with mortgage fraud, and that was all part of what was happening with the housing bubble. So anyway, I ended up in with 11 years of litigation with the federal government, and we were very lucky. We ultimately won, and, um, and as a result of that, I started doing radio shows and talking about the corruption, and people started coming to me and saying, um, you know, how do I deal with this with my own money? And I would always say, Junius, I'm not an investment advisor, and you need to go whatever. And after about the 100th call, I realized, oh, God wants me to be an investment advisor. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's what I did. I started an investment advisory company, and then I was getting the same 100 questions a week, and finally I realized, okay, let's publish something. I published something called the Solari Report, which is really a way of filtering the news and reporting on the news once a week that helps my clients um, understand what's going on in the world as it affects their sort of management of their time and money. And then um, uh, I use that process to do a lot of the research and fundamental analysis I need to set investment allocations and investment strategy for the investment advisory. So day to day, you know, um, I'm watching what's going on in the economy, both locally and globally, and trying to make sense out of it for my clients and myself. Well, if you don't mind, I'd like to go back because you were a young woman going into Wall Street, which at that time was still pretty much a male dominated dominated industry. So how did you fare uh-huh. there being, you know, young, attractive, going into that place uh, and coming from the, the type of home that you came from where people were aware, socially conscious and, uh, you know, had like relationships with the neighborhood and community. Right. Well, you know, I never had a problem on wall street. I, uh, you know, first I really enjoyed it. One of the funny things about wall street is it attracts the best and the brightest from all over the world. And so you have this flow of unbelievably talented, um, interesting people. And remember that was, uh, you know, I started in wall street in 1978 and I was lucky. I went to a firm it would let me kind of do whatever I wanted as long as I was productive and made money. And um, at one point, what they did was they figured out that I loved big, messy social problems. And so they put me over. They they had been hired um, by the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. I don't know if you remember when Dick Thornburg was governor. Um, the state was in real trouble on its credit. And so they asked me, I was the young associate who was supposed to work with them and not only did they not get downgraded on their bonds they got an upgrade it was a huge success and nobody had wanted it so they'd stuck it with you know give it to the girl mm, and yeah, the yeah. Bills, you know we yeah. <laughs> so then what happened was uh, uh the new york city subway system and transportation system was in real trouble so again um they realized oh well if we try and get all these different things done for them will fail, but they had the Triburg Bridge and Tunnel Authority. That's good bonding business. So we'll fail on the $3 billion. We'll, we'll get the $1 billion of bonds. So again, they gave the girl the <laughs> the difficult one. Anyway, it, it all got done, and it was a great success. And um, what I discovered was, because I really I do love reengineering financial sort of messes, what I discovered was that uh, a lot of the things that don't work financially don't work because, you know, we have so much divide and conquer going on in this country. It's a matter of getting in and figure out how you can rebuild alignments between different parts of 
the economy and different, you know, sort of people in the various political groups. And in fact, Junius, if you look at a lot of the financial problems we have in this country, the economic problems, they all come down to how the government money flows are engineered. And a lot of those flows are engineered in sort of secret, hidden ways to achieve political or financial results, which are not in alignment. You know, they're out of, uh, you know, they're not in alignment with the laws of the country and the Constitution, et cetera. And so, you know, we're running, we're, we're running, it's very expensive to run the country with this much poverty. In fact, there is a way to end poverty uh, that that really, uh, you know, does solve a lot of the political problems. And so I don't, I don't mean to get ahead of ourselves, but, um, it was, uh, it gets, it gets very frustrating because the whole country is a prisoner to an enormous federal budget. And if you dig deep into the federal budget, the only way to solve the federal budget problems is to face what's really going on. And that, in and of itself, from a from a political standpoint, is a very very tricky thing to do. Not only not only that, I mean, because it's like an onion, you have, you have to keep peeling away, peeling away, <laughs> and then even then, you don't get to some of the major players. Now, you had experience because you were with Dylan Reed, which was a a, a powerful investment, yeah, firm, very influential, and it had. Uh, a proximity to the levers of power in the country. Uh, but the average person will never see what you saw when you were in, at Dylan Reed and when you went to Washington. So uh, how how has that impacted your worldview and also your your view of what has to be done on a local level? Well, he, first of all, I think the average person can... Uh, can learn everything I learned. In other words, one of the one of the things that's happened with the explosion of technology and the internet is, you know, somebody's written it all up. And uh, whether it's in books or movies or videos or documentaries or or articles and information on the web, I think it is really possible to understand the economy or most parts of the economy from the very top to the very bottom. And of course, the the you know, when you're when you're operating, say, if you're running the FHA, when I ran the FHA, we originated 50 to 100 billion dollars of mortgage insurance, and our portfolio at the time was about 350 billion dollars, at least on the books. And um, you know, now at the same time, if you look at some of the things I deal with, you know, I'm dealing with businesses that have 50 thousand dollars a year of revenues, and so it's it's a mind-boggling experience for people who are not trained to go from the, you know, the community level where you need to deal with a business that in a year can generate 50000 up into the portfolio strategy level that a federal regulator is dealing with where you're dealing with a portfolio of $350 billion. And so to me, it's, a, it's an educational challenge for us to think both at the national or international scale and think at the very local scale, but it's part of what, you know, it's part of what's going to happen. Now, from an educational standpoint, there's no problem doing that. You know, we have the curriculum and the, and the information and financial tools to teach our children to be able to think like that and function like that. Um, but we, you know, we're, we're all going to have to kind of do that. And I think the, the presence of the internet is going to help. Now, what, what, 
what should concern people at the local level? If you, if you look at a local community, um, you know, whether it's where you live in New Jersey or where I live here in Tennessee, um, a lot of the economy genius has been organized to serve centralized interests as opposed to optimize the health and well-being of that economy. A lot of that has worked through the federal budget and federal credit. And it's, it's a, it's a process that has created, you know, just terrible pain in local communities and terrible frustration because people don't understand what's going on. Now, not all of it is a result of federal regulation in part. What you're seeing the guys at the national level do is trying to organize the economy so their companies can be the biggest possible mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. when they go compete with China head to head, they can win. So they're trying to compete on the international scale and trying to make themselves as strong as possible to do that. But it's wrecking, it's just wrecking havoc locally. And of course, part of it is, you know, cause it's, it's one of the, the drum beats that I beat a lot is, um, narcotics trafficking and illegal activities are destroying our communities. They're destroying our families. They're destroying our people. And yet the whole financial system is addicted to them. And the question is, you know, how can we get off of our addiction to narco dollars and financial fraud um, and do it in a way that builds real wealth? And, and I, for one, believe it can be done. But before you do it, you have to have a giant conversation about what's really going on here. And the reality is, uh, if you look at most of the people in America, we're all guilty, right. you know, because we've right. all been one way or, or another participating. It we're in a state of complete. <laughs> Yeah. An amazing denial, and um, and uh, it's funny. I used to have a pastor in Washington who said, "If we can face it, God can fix it." But America has not yet faced its real problems. Yeah, and and unfortunately, the the, the game is to entice and induce people to get on board, get on, get on right. board, get on this train. Even though it's going at breakneck speed and it can't sustain itself, people think that that's what they should do and that's what they can do to be successful. And really, it's draining us and putting us and making making really us making all of us complicit uh, to the point we're at the point, in my view, where the German people were once Hitler was off and running. You know, a lot of them did know what was going on. They just chose not to uh investigate further they it, they don't they didn't have the information that we have at our disposal but there there was inklings of what was going on so i'm going to be a tough guy now because uh and i wrote this all up in an online book called dylan reed in the aristocracy of stock profits yeah um in my opinion there is an intentional genocide plan in america it's intentional it's planned. It came top down. Um, and the reality is that it's been going on for a long time, but with ferocity since the beginning of the 90s. And, um, and it's affected, it certainly affected the African-American community. You know, you, you've taken the biggest brunt of it, but it's affected a lot of low-income community. I, I just read a study recently that said um, white women who didn't have a high school education between the 1990 and I think, uh, 2012, their life expectancy has dropped five years. 
that's well, pretty astonishing. Yeah, you know, because I, I was going to ask you, is this a local or a national phenomenon? Is it a global phenomenon? Because from from my perspective and seeing documents that they that the ruling elites share amongst themselves and their position papers, it's a global phenomenon. Well, that's you know that's something. I'm sure that there is a genocide plan here in America. One of the reasons I did what I did in the 90s was at the time I believed it was targeted just at African Americans. I told you the story where one of the um, one of the political appointees in the Clinton administration said, "You know, we're moving all the blacks out and moving Hispanics in." And um, and the reason I say it's a little bit beyond, you know, we're approaching where the German people were. What, what was going on in the 90s was we were dropping, the U.S. government was dropping SWAT teams into local communities, black neighborhoods in the Washington area, and with SWAT teams that were rounding up kids who just happened to be walking down the street, stuffing them into prison and making money on private prison stocks. You know, there was a big, I explained it all in the article, but it was clearly a plan and it was engineered to make money on the construction, to make money on the stocks, to make money on the prison companies and and at the same time the congress cut off um appropriations to the to the public yeah. defenders so mm-hmm. these kids couldn't get representation so they had to cop a plea and you know and so they go to prison for 3 years and the stock goes up everybody makes money and and I remember when it was happening genius I'm not as you know me I'm not a very sentimental person um when I finally realized what was going on uh, I literally sat down and cried because it meant my country was doing exactly what Hitler was doing. They were doing it behind a whole uh, a whole pile of financial engineering and sort of fancy fancy complex stuff that you know you always try and blame the victim and these right, right. terrible people are dealing drugs and there you know it was it was it was Ebola was sort of the '90s pitch on steroids and um, and so. I went around trying to get people to help me stop it and to help me illuminate it. And for a long time, I was able, we started a, uh, did a lot of work to design a program for Hyde Cold Neighborhood Networks that started computer learning centers in communities. And it was unbelievably successful in terms of both uh, helping people get the skills they needed to work in the way the economy was changing, but also to paint a very different picture to the world of those communities and their, I mean, the skill, the the speed at which skills could be developed were both marvelous and shocking to many people. And I could tell you some great stories. It's in the Dylan Reed story, but um, it, you know, what was frightening to me was the extent to which everybody went along because you had this big housing bubble and from the local communities all the way up to Washington, plenty of, you know, people of every race, creed, and color got on board to to make a, a lot of money, and everybody made a lot of money and, and went along and pretended it wasn't going on. And I kept saying, look, you know, because at the time, I thought it was just targeted at the African-American community. I was wrong about that, but that's what I believed. And, um, you know, I said to them, look, it's only a matter of time. If we let this go down in America, it's going to eat, its, it's a cancer. It's going to eat its way through to all of us. And it, it took me another sort of five to ten years to realize what was going on in the rural white communities and other low-income communities and, and then how the degradation of the food and water was affecting the middle classes and how they were being squeezed. And I realized, oh, this thing is much bigger. 
Um, and I think one of the reasons that we've never been able to see it and do something about is, you know, we're all in our little niche of whatever our socio-political group is talking with ourselves and, and not seeing it from the other guy's point of view. It's, you know, as you know, I live in a very segregated community and I'm always telling everybody, you know, if you would just collaborate about the money, you could hate each other rich instead of poor. (laughs) (laughs) So I think part of, part of, uh, doing something about this is first you have to see it and it's very hard to see it unless you see it from the point of view of lots of different groups, lots of different races, lots of different colors, lots of different creeds, because everybody's walking around feeling like they're being harmed and the world owes them something. And of course that just makes it worse. Right. And, you know, not only that, because well, we also have this uh, lack mentality and the scarcity mentality. So if you feel you're victimized and the resources are minimal, I have to get mine. And right. uh, unfortunately, a lot of us, part of the entitlement and victimhood means that you're just going to sit back passively and beg when if you asserted yourself and worked with other people, we'd probably be better off, but we just can't see it. We can't see beyond our blind. Well, you know, the thing that happened to me that was so wonderful was um, before it all started, what I was doing at Hamilton Securities, which was the company I started after I left the Bush administration, we, one of the reasons we got hired on competitive bid to be HUD's financial advisor, and it gave me access to just a treasure trove of data about real estate and mortgages and other economic flows and communities. And it was just when relational databases were coming out. And so we were able to dump everything into the databases and start to look at the economy in very dynamic ways by place. And I had, uh, what we were trying to do was to figure out how could we take this wonderful new technology of the internet and digital technology and re-engineer the financial flows in places to allow capital to flow much more freely to small business and, um, and to really revitalize communities, get the, you know, sort of the government money out and thus saving tons of money for taxpayers. Anyway, so uh, I had a genius guy working for me. He was a PhD from MIT, is Chinese. And he, I said, Henry, go off and figure out if we're free to do all of this and just re-optimize the economy, you know, allowing small business free reign to access capital and to you know, to do REITs for neighborhoods and stock exchanges for neighborhood. Anyway, mm-hmm. he goes off and he comes back, Junius, and he shows that the basically the float of equity increased by 600%. I just couldn't believe it. I thought it was, you know, it was impossible. And I kept making him go back and do the numbers, and finally I just started to laugh because what is happening is the negative return on investment from government investment is so enormous that if you just took that weight and oppression, that financial oppression off the economy, the wealth that could be created is unbelievable. The challenge with that is that one of the reasons that we have such a negative rate of return is you have a huge amount of money being siphoned off for what I call the black budget, which is sort of the secret financing, Mm -hmm. financing the most secretive military and intelligence projects. You've got this huge tithe 
that is secretly going out, and it's one of the reasons the fraud just grew and grew and grew, their their need for money. And you can't change that. You can't get the oppression, the financial oppression off the economy so that the economy can 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 grow because you've got this drain of this enormous, enormous harvest. And no one can talk about it. The reason that Congress looks so ridiculous, they're not, these are not stupid people and they're not, you know, mean, unfeeling people. There are a lot of great people in, in Congress. And, you know, the reality is they're not allowed to play with the whole deck. And, and that's why I keep trying to bring transparency to the black budget, because until we do that, we can't re-engineer anything. And, and, you know, I, I don't know any other way but transparency and talking about it to get this kind of opened up. Now, that may lead us into looking at things a lot of people don't necessarily want to leave. They're, they're unpleasant. They involve risk, you know, and you, you kind of feel what I felt when I had to do it, which was, you know, how come I've been sitting around my whole life and I didn't know this? I, you feel like a patsy. But, but there is not, you know, one of the things I can assure you, the leadership did not just open the U.S. markets up to narcotics trafficking because they wanted to make money. They needed enormous amounts of secret funding. And the question is why? Why did the kind of people who agreed to do this, who were literally not psychopathic, do something that from our standpoint now looks psychopathic? Well, um, I was reading your, your, uh, your piece, and I haven't finished it. So have you come to a conclusion? So because from my vantage point, I think there's psychopaths and sociopaths. Well, we certainly not we everybody, certainly not everybody, right. but the people at the very pinnacle. Yeah, yeah, they are. Well, here's the thing. I, the people I dealt with at the top, you had a couple things going on. One is they were in a prisoner's dilemma. If you didn't do the organized crime stuff, then the guy who did it, one, because the crowd followed right, the guy who right, had the money. Right. So, so force and organized crime was the successful strategy. So let me give you an example. I was at um, Women Now at Loose in 2000, T.D. Jakes' conference for women, and I was there with my church from Washington, and I'm sitting next to a, a wonderful minister who's been teaching me spiritual warfare, is taking her classes. And T.D. Jakes brings in George W. Bush by monitor, you know, it's during the campaign, and 100,000 African-American women jump up cheering for him, including my minister, who used to work at the DEA. And when it was over, I said, you know, Pat, uh, you just jumped up and cheered for George W. Bush, and I have risked my fortune in my life to try and illuminate and stop narcotics trafficking you know, supported by the Bush and the Clintons. And there's nothing about this you don't know. You worked at DEA, and you're jumping up and down and cheering for the guy. And she looked at me and she said, he's going to be a winner. He's the winner. He's going to be the winner. And I said, so he's a winner and I'm a loser. And she said, yes, that's right. So the message to me as an, you know, an honest investment banker and former government official is, you know, America cheers, including your minister, for the winner, not for the person who lives in accordance with divine law. Well, but, yeah, I, but you also see 
a lot of people don't know. You know, some of the some of those people know. And so when you choose when you know what's right and you choose the other option, you don't have an excuse. You can't um, to me, you're a sociopath. You and particularly when you know the devastation it's causing to your people and the and the planet. So here's here's what because I watched, you know, all the people I worked with at both the, the top of Washington and the top of Wall Street, occasionally we get a psychopath. You know, so I worked for uh, a cabinet secretary who I would describe as absolutely emotionally unstable and psychopathic in behavior. But I have the majority of people that I worked with were perfectly sane people and there was nothing about them that was morally better or worse than, you know, my neighbors here in Hickory Valley or the sort of the general population. So I can't explain their behavior according to, oh, they're bad. It's, it's not that they're... Now, what I will say is what you will find, and there's a wonderful book on this called Political Ponerology, is that people who are very good at organizing to take, I mean, very psychopathic, are very good at sort of organizing, finding each other, and the general population can't believe that people would be willing to do that. It's been very hard for the general population to realize that the GMO food is as dangerous as it is because right. they can't fathom right. that many right. humans would right. do that to other humans. So you, you get these kind of psychopathic happening. But the other thing that's going on is you have a group of people at the top who are in a prisoner's dilemma vis-a-vis their own population because the, the population has generally supported the dirty guys, not the clean guys, and the clean guys are really tired of having the rug pulled out from them by the crowd. Um, that's number one. But the other thing is they're competing globally, and that that global competition is is ruthless, and they're competing, you know, against people who not only don't care if you and I live or not, they'd rather see us die. So, and they've got to do whatever they've got to do and win in that competition. And, and that, you know, optimizing your economic or your economy to win at that has a very different picture than optimizing your economy so that each community is free to optimize and do what makes sense. So, um, so there's, there's a lot going on that makes it extremely complicated if you're a player in position. Cause remember, they don't control. In other words, most of the people that you think of, uh, or not you because you know, but most of the think of people that most people think are powerful, whether it's the CEO or the cabinet secretary, you know, they're dealing with very, you know, they're like Gulliver and they got right. thousands mm-hmm. of little cords right. on them. So it's a complex system. And every if everybody's doing the waltz, it's very, very hard to suddenly start doing cha-cha-cha. Well, how do you, as a person with integrity and as a person who has a vision for an alternative economy, how do you deal uh, with people? Just like look at the, the, the lower side of the housing boom. You had mortgage brokers, you had uh, salespeople who knew something was fishy, but they were motivated and they had an incentive because they could get a boost in their commission, particularly if they right. s- sent somebody and, and hooked them up with a uh, subprime loan, even though 
they had the credit score to really be in a a conventional loan. So how do you juxtapose that mentality that get it and you know we say well all things considered they're a decent person they just wanted the extra money but again that tells you something about what they're willing to do and if you're coming with the polar opposite about integrity and a sustainable and, and a, an investment strategy for a sustainable economy and world and they're trying to pull the plug out from from under you unknowingly how do you deal with that well i've had the plug pulled out for me you know literally thousands of times and it's by going through that process that over time i attract and find the people who won't do that right um what's i think very hard is and this is truly spiritual warfare is to watch a very high percentage of my society um, literally, morally, and ethically go down the drain, sometimes not, you know, knowing what they're doing and other times not conscious. And, um, and it's, it's, it's frightening to watch. And of course, you know, I'll wake up and realize, oh, wait a minute, you know, if I don't stop doing this, I'll be off sides. So it's a struggle because the more of us who are going off sides, the harder it is to stay on sides, even to remember what that is. You know, the what happened to me, and I was very lucky in uh, when I started to bump into what I call the genocide plan, I found a great church, and I really, they had a wonderful Bible Institute, and I started to study spiritual warfare, and I had a couple of very dear friends who were, I would say, very spiritually evolved as human beings, mm-hmm. and I was able to come to grips with you know, the choices that I was facing, which is you can serve Caesar or you can serve the Lord. And there are times when the Lord and Caesar just disagree and you've got to pick sides. And you really have to decide, Eunice, and I had to do this because I was dealing with very physically dangerous situations. You know, you've got to decide which is more important to you, you know, your love for your God and freedom or your life. And it was really interesting because I chose God and freedom and I was sure on numerous occasions that I was dead. I consider it a total impossible miracle that I'm alive today. And, you know, I wake up in the morning, I think this is, you know, this is a fantastic comedy. I'm alive. <laughs> it can't possibly be. And, um, but once you make that choice, you get really clear, which is more important to you, your immortal soul or your life. And you've got to choose. And I think, we're going through a process in America where many people are going to have to choose. And the reality is if you believe your soul is immortal, you look at the world and these decisions from a very different perspective. If you don't know that. Right. Right. Or if and you, I don't, even if I don't, you, you know, I'm not a minister. I don't know how to help people come to that decision and see that that's the choice. Because ultimately, if you look at what's going on in this planet, I think it's spiritual warfare. And I think it will ultimately be decided first and foremost at the spiritual level. And I think that we can all have a major impact on it by making that choice individually ourselves. Well, one of the problems that we're going to face, one of the challenges we're going to have to face and admit to is that we're being programmed by the psychopaths to like turn the 
other cheek in a negative sense. In other words, to embrace the negativity, <clears throat> to embrace the right. evil, to, you know, say like, uh, you know, war is peace and uh, death is and, and destruction and devastation and murder and genocide are good and they're profitable. And people are going to go, going along with it. Now, a lot of those the people that I deal with aren't on that level. They're not in the rooms. They're not making those kinds of decisions. They're just uh, internalizing the values. The values right. instilling institutions are doing to this country what Goebbels could never in his wildest imagination do in Germany. Right. And so that's that's where we are. And so well, you know, they learned a lot in Germany about what works and what doesn't. Yeah, they learned it from us. They learned it from the United yeah. States. They learned it from Bernays and, and those people. They right. that's who and, they held and, up. Right. But the but the whole Nazi experiment, think of it like a prototype. And they learned a lot about how you control and manipulate, you know, what gets people's back right. up and what doesn't. And um, if you look at the war on drugs, it was brilliantly engineered. You know, you had a lot of uh, Nazi scientists and doctors integrated yep. into yep. the national security state after the war. And from that partnership, you got a tremendous understanding of how to um, you know, to do social engineering in very invisible ways that enjoy the complete support of the general population. Right. I mean, look at, they, look they, at how many people have absolutely supported the most ridiculous levels of enforcement on the war on drugs that have been nothing but horribly damaging, considering when you see that, you know, if you follow it up the chain, the people who are doing the enforcement are the people who are bringing in the drugs. Right, right. Well, but I mean, like you said, they they were the ones who did all the cutting edge studying on mind control and manipulation. Right. And so once they brought them over here and they, they incorporated them and put them into the universities and the institutes and the think tanks, it was only a matter of time. I mean, I maintain that the fascist won. It was just a different side of, of you know, the, the, <laughs> <laughs> they won World War Two is just another group you know it's like a couple right. of gangs fighting and the the asian gang and the german gang lost but the anglo-american gang won right but they they were all working for the same team well ultimately. but yeah they were and they they manipulated um they supported hitler and uh you know they they were their lawyers they were their bankers and all of that so you're right well given its spiritual warfare and we're in a culture now that eschews spirituality. In other words, uh, it's looked at. Now, you, you do hear the term spiritual, and people use it because they have an intuitive knowing that it's real. But a lot of times they, they say it because what they're saying is, well, I've given up on organized religion. And they're, they're looking for something else. But the sad part is they haven't looked diligently enough because it's there. You, you can't, you can't miss it if, if you right. look and listen. So how, I mean, is that a part of what you're doing on a financial level? Because there, the other thing is we tend to dichotomize things and when they're really not, everything is, is interrelated and interdependent. Right. So do you, 
teach spiritual principles to folks who are trying to come up with an alternative investment, economic and business growth model? Well, for the last couple of years, I've been working more with individuals, so I haven't spent much time on the alternative models, although I, uh, that's now going to start happening more as the world opens up to a discussion of alternative models. So when I talk about the model, yes, um, day to day, I only talk with people about spiritual matters if they are interested. Here's the root of the, of the financial issue. So let me talk it from the financial side. Um, or let me do spiritual first. You know, we didn't come here to have a good financial system. <laughs> That's not the goal of, you know, our, our life here on earth. So we're a human society, we're a human civilization, and our purpose is that which we individually and collectively define. You know, it's a goal about life, it's a goal about principles, it's a goal about, you know, meaning. And money is just one of many tools that we use to make that life work. You know, so to me, money, when you say money, it's like a home builder saying hammer. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. and owning a lot of hammers is not a goal. You know, it's certainly not a home builder's goal. You know, they're trying to build houses so people can have good lives and be safe, et cetera. Anyway, so so you got to put the money thing in perspective. It's just a tool. And if you look at the financial system, it is a component part, Junius, of the governance system. And it is, you know, if I have a good governance system, then I can have a completely stupid and ridiculous financial system and it will work. Okay, because I have a good governance system. And if I have a bad governance system, you know, messing with the money is not going to change anything. I mean, what I will tell you is in my, uh, you know, if you look at 3,100 counties in America, our spiritual field within each one of those counties is so polluted until we clean it out. The money ain't never going to work. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, so when you deal with money, you got to deal with what's the governance issue. The one thing I can tell you from my experience that I think it's really important for everybody to understand is where, you know, the point you brought up and you always bring up brilliantly, which is we don't have an economic problem in this country. We have a spiritual problem. We have a cultural problem. We have a political problem. But if we were willing to run things in a uh, a productive and conscious manner, in a civilized manner, there's plenty for everybody. Now, to do that, here's what you need. A financial system is a man-made system, and it ultimately, to be successful, it's based on trust. And right. we're trying to run the financial system based on force, and that's why we keep having to pump a lot more of financial steroids from the Treasury and the, and the Fed, because nobody trusts anybody, and we solve that by just making more money. But the reality is, you know, the, our financial system is, in one respect, the goose that laid the golden egg, and our the deterioration of our our trust in the law is now reached a point that it's threatening the goose because when you have uh, financial liquidity, you can make a little bit go a long, long way. If you don't have any liquidity because nobody trusts each other, then you start to get real breakdowns. And I think we've reached the point where, um, and, and I go back to the, you know, I see the black budget as being a big part of the root cause you know, people just don't trust each other, and they certainly don't trust anything coming from Washington and Wall Street. I know very excellent people who are still on Washington and Wall Street. Nobody believes a word they say, 
because they've been lied to so many times and the damage has been so great that, that we're really seeing an erosion of trust. And of course, the more trust breaks down, the more the, the top guys try and solve it with force. And ultimately, you know, that's not going to work. Well, you know, I, I think some of it is because they've integrated the technology and they can trade at lightning speeds, millisecond speeds. I was at a, a, uh, a, a workshop, uh, the Philadelphia Foundation. Um, we started a, a, an endowment fund. Our, my graduating class started an endowment fund. So to make a long story short, they invited us to come in and somebody was going to talk about their portfolio, what they were doing. And so the, the the guy that came in who was their consultant, he doesn't he wasn't giving advice, but he was saying, and I thought he was crazy when he said it, you know, and not not that I'm an expert or anything, but he was saying that, you know, the United States is going to have uh, energy independence within five years, and we're doing this, and he was talking about Shell and all this, and that was in, I think November. Look what's mm -hmm. happened. Looks what look at what has happened in set seven weeks. You know, to the point now that those people are scurrying around trying to save their investors, trying to scramble to find find money. And right. and that whole, quote unquote, industry is in danger now. But he's well, still there actually, confidently I, thinking that, you know, <laughs> it was the way to well, go. It was the wave of the future. what was coming because I, I think um, – you know, the U.S. has done extraordinary things to try and build energy independence. I think they're on the way. And what's going to get knocked out is the little guys will get knocked yeah, out. Yeah, but it won't now. change the, I mean, it won't change the macro of the U.S. getting to energy self-sufficiency. Because the reality, Junius, is if you look at the finding costs for oil and gas, particularly for oil, it's way, way below what the market is. And the, the oil price, to me, is the most manipulated commodity in the world. And and if you look at, we did, we did a series on the Solaria report called the oil card with Jim Norman, who to me is the single best reporter on this whole issue. And, um, we brought the, the Berlin wall and the Soviet union down by driving the oil price into the ground and cutting off their revenues. And we're trying to do it again. Right. So, uh, it wouldn't surprise, I don't know. I'm a believer that the oil price will probably be up faster than you think, but there's no doubt this is going to knock the independence on their, took us and and the investors who are not willing to be patient are going to get hurt there's no doubt about that because it's been a dazzling drop you know it's a 50 percent drop in a very short period of time well i remember you telling me explaining to me years ago about uh the pump and dumps schemes and you right. talked about the dot-com bubble was one and several right. others and i think that one of the things that uh, one of the lessons we have not learned from 29 is that uh, they began to encourage people who had not dabbled in the stock market in the 20s, doing the roaring 20s. And a lot of people didn't know how it could be manipulated and was being manipulated. And right. they did the, some of the same things where they started buying on, on credit or margin. And I think that's happening now. So. You talk about trust, even though you have like five or six big banks now, there is a lack of trust even amongst them as they oh, view, each, view each other. Absolutely. So how is that going to work if, if, if 
you're scared to death that any tug on one of these derivative accounts will, could bring down the whole system just like they brought down AIG. Right. Well, I don't actually, I think the majority of the derivative system is backed up by the federal credit. I think a lot of the derivative book is run out of the exchange stabilization fund, and those banks aren't acting on their own account or for private institutions. I think a lot of it is basically, you know, the national security state engineering markets for national security and political and economic advantage. But um, I, I, I do think the one thing I try and get everybody to listen to on the Solari report is um, – and I do this because as an investment advisor, I'm very concerned about it, is we did a we did a Solaria report on entrainment technology and its application to, you know, getting people to do things with their money as investors. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that so one of the things that scares me the most is most Americans do not understand how mind control technology works and it's applied to all of us. You know, it's on the TVs, it's on the cell phones, it's on the Internet. You know, you're dealing with this and and it's being used to get you to put your money in this kind of bank or in this kind of stock. And you can't, you know, you ha- if you're going to operate in this environment and act in your own self-interest, you have to know that there are very powerful tools that are invisible that can affect your mind and get you to do things which are financially insane. And I've seen it, you know, I've seen it, I've had struggles there is nothing worse than trying to talk somebody who's been worked by entrainment technology out of doing something which is certifiably insane and which they think is the most wonderful thing in the world. So, um, uh, you know, that's one thing that every child needs to understand. You're operating in a in a in an economy where you have very powerful political and, and corporate interests that have mind control technology and they make money manipulating you mm, with it. You're mm. a you know, it's what Curtis Mayfield said. It's a new world order, and brother, you're the prey. Yeah. How can people get a copy or a subscription to the Solari Report? Well, our website is solari.com, S-O-L-A-R-I.com. And, um, and if you come in, uh, we put a lot up on the blog for free, and there's plenty there. We post every day. And I'm really genius just trying to... Uh, filter the news so that a busy person knows what's going on as it impacts their um, their health and their time and their money. And then we have a subscription service. You can subscribe monthly or six-month or annually, and it's all there on the website. You just go to the store and subscribe. Um, and what we try and do, uh, one of the things I do, and I just finished doing the last one. I don't know if you had a chance to do uh, take a look. But every year I do an annual wrap-up, which is part of the analysis I do to really have a framework for the next year. What do I think is going to happen and why? What are the scenarios? And I use it to sort of set my allocations for investment strategy. But it's a it's a really deep look in the world. I used to have an assistant who would say, I need to get my perspective. And so to sort of get my perspective and keep it, I do a big annual wrap-up, which is a big analysis of the markets, what's going on. And then we do a quarterly wrap-up. And uh, a lot of it's really organized to look under the rug and to look at the deeper story and say, okay, you know, what is the black budget about? And why is all this money disappearing down this rabbit hole? And, you know, how does the national security state work? And how do I avoid it? What does this mean to me? 
Well, so, anyway, help, help, help. com. Okay, and and also you you do have the your Thursday night uh, program, the podcast. They're available, uh, and there's a unique perspective on this, and I I would encourage as many listeners as are able to go up there, look at it, take a look at it, just Google, just Google her name and read some of her, uh, her columns that she used to write for Scoop. She's, um, the Australian, uh, magazine. She's contributed to any number of editorials and, and, and newspapers. She's a frequent guest on many, many radio programs. Just Google her name, or and I hate to use the term Google. Just use put put her name in <laughs> in, in, in your to, browser. I have to say one thing is because it's, it's one of the reasons that uh, I so admire you and and what you do, and why I love spending time with you, Junius. And that is, you know, our point of view is we want to know what's really going on, and we want to know what's really going on so that we can live our new expression, our theme for the year, free and inspired life. But we want to have fun. We want to be positive. So, um, you know, we're not the kind of people who look at what's going on and then go yeah, off and get depressed and, and yeah. get angry and get yeah. mad. You know, I just, I don't believe there's any excuse for bad manners. <laughs> so we're, we're kind of a, you know, we're kind of a positive group and we're an active group, but, but we want to know what's really going on, but we want to use that knowledge to have a successful life by whatever each one of us believes that means. And uh, so that's a sort of unique combination, I think, on the on the internet. And that's our our point of view. Our point of view is, you know, it can be better. Yeah, and it's up to <laughs> us. We can make it yep, better. It is up to us to make it better. I have a yeah. question for you. Another question. You refer to the, the 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 black ops, the black budget. That's basically cash in hand. And so, how does that? Uh, play out and people some people call it the the shadow economy and it's run by a shadow government how does that play out with all this leveraged you know buyouts and transactions that are going on because this is cash in hand and a lot of the other stuff well is just basically dead. you know i'm going to grossly oversimplify what you're talking about is a financial process where essentially you're watching the leverage buyout of a planet by a group of people who found a way to siphon off money, use it to finance the most powerful technology in the world, and then use that technology to garner more ownership and control of real estate, you know, territories, equities, and ultimately countries. Mm. I mean, what the financial coup d'etat was that the housing bubble was a part of between 95 and 2008 you know, that was a financial coup d'etat, and my, my back-of-the-envelope estimate is they stole $40 trillion. The $40 trillion is enough to basically buy a planet. Yeah, well, go back, so, even, go back even a little further. I think uh, if you add in the savings and loan, you're talking about yep. even more. So go back, and then if you went back even further, you, you'd probably say, wow, this thing's been going on longer than we thought. Well, it's interesting. If you study Iran-Contra and the savings and loan crisis, because it was my job, in Washington as Assistant Secretary of Housing to clean that up. And um, and then when I went into the litigation, I went back and did a lot of really unpacking of how that financial fraud works. So it's it's something I have a lot of personal experience with. If you look at all the people, say they stole $500 billion mm-hmm. on the SNL crisis, uh, 
it was the same people who took that technology and used it to engineer the next housing bubble and with it stock fraud. And then, of course, you could lever with the derivatives. And, and so in the financial coup d'etat, you know, their first stake was that $500 billion. They used that stake to then steal 400 or $40 trillion. And and it was the same technology, just taken to a whole right. new level. On steroids, but it was, yeah. Right. And it's funny because when you, to the extent that I knew any of those people or knew people who worked for them, particularly doing the financial fraud, you know, when they started doing it, they couldn't believe how much they could get away with. And they, it just kept emboldening them and it went on and on and on. And it was like a, a kid who keeps getting away with it. And you just, you know, at, at some point it's out of control. And as you know, I refer to them as the breakaway civilization because they have literally stolen enough money and used that money to buy enough political and economic power that they see themselves as a separate civilization, not subject to our laws. It's to the point that they're so arrogant now. They they have publications where they speak to each other, like the, the, <laughs> the guys on the corner, Joe Smo, he doesn't read them, but you right. know, th- that group, that class reads it. And that's what they're saying. That, I mean, that's what they say about themselves. Right. And and the funny kind of thing is, it reminds me, I had a wonderful partner who I adored when I worked at Dylan Reed, and he was a very astute businessman. And he uh, was adamant about some of the resource allocations, and he went off and did a little study and was able to prove that instead of having human beings trading our portfolios at Dylan Reed, for the 80s, it, instead, if we had put chimpanzees in the chairs and just run average positions, we would have made more money <laughs> no. <laughs> because the Fed was floating everybody up. But, of course, everybody thought they were a genius. And it's Leonard Cohen has a wonderful song where he says, we were blinded by the beauty of our weapons. And part of the thing that frightens me the most genius about that group is they're so divorced and ungrounded that they really don't know. It's like they are blinded by the beauty of the weapons and it's working for now. But ultimately, you can't govern a planet with force. And so, you know, they've got the bit in the mouth and they're running away and it's working and they're arrogant. But but the more arrogant they get, the more stupid they get. And the reality is, you know, when they fail, it's the people are going to pay the the piper, you and me. Uh, Can you stay on for, for a little bit more? Sure. Okay, good. Well, in, in keeping with that, one of their goals is major depopulation. So as heinous as that may sound to us and what you just said in terms of the, the price that's going to be paid, the people who are going to pay it are us. They don't care because they recognize in order to uh, maintain their vision of the world, of the new world order. And this, this to me shows you how crazy they are. They they think that global depopulation is going to solve their problem because they don't understand what life is. Life is the spirit itself. And they think they can squash that out. And I mean, that's that's how crazy they are. Well, here's what I don't understand. I do not understand the risks that they're dealing with or what intelligence they have about our scientific or geophysical situation. And so the reason I'm loathe to, you know, because it's funny, if you look at the people I worked with, I like them immensely. And uh, I was profoundly impacted by the sadness that they always felt with never being able to get broad-based support for sort of the right thing to do. 
and kind of always feeling they were in a prisoner's dilemma. So I kind of have a lot of sympathy for the nice ones among them. But I've never understood what the risk issues they're dealing with because they have reached a point where they don't feel they can share them with the general population. And I don't understand what they are, and I want to understand what they are because I think before you can solve a problem, you have to know what, you know, if you and I were in their shoes, what would we do? And I don't know what I would do if I was in their shoes because I don't know what information, I don't know what the human decision would be if you were in their shoes. Well, but again, you already said it. They're so divorced and detached from us. They, they, I don't even think they resonate on the level, the, the same energy that we have. You know, their consciousness right, one of the things is so different. And I'm talking about the hardcore ass- people. Not, you not should people. assume that. Sorry. No, I was saying I'm talking about the hardcore people, not the people that you work for who were just following orders, who just bought into or were being manipulated by the mind control. I'm talking about the people pulling the levers and employing so, the technology. Yeah. So what I tell people is, look, you should assume for as all practical purposes that that we're being governed by aliens because whether they're humans or they're aliens, uh, even if they're humans, they are as if aliens to us. Right. It's reached that point. Right. We are no longer part of the same electromagnetic field. No. No, they, I don't know if they're actual aliens from another galaxy or they have experienced some kind of quantum consciousness shift or, as you just mentioned, electromagnetic energy shift but it's clear to me that uh, number one they want to dumb us down to get us operating on the most animalistic and base form of survival that they can and they understand that a spiritually enlightened and evolved people means we can check them now I'm not saying we can checkmate them but we can check them yes that's true that's so. true. And and that's why spiritual, you know, being grounded in spiritual purpose is essential because there is only one thing I know that's more powerful than all their weapons, and that's the, the power of the divine to, you know, shift everything. So the divine intelligence is far more powerful than anything going on in the material world here. But we have to be worthy of its intercession and support. Well, I, I think, too, when we go back, when we talked uh, several weeks ago, uh, you had me on your program, but we talked prior to the actual program, and we talked about the divide and rule, divide and conquer, and one of the things that you pointed out was the biggest victory they had was the divide between male and female and once they were able to defeat the feminine energy and the right. the feminine aspect of existence they were pretty successful you know with the male patriarchy with the the whole war because the feminine tends to be nurturers it tends to, to not to uh to to resu- result in conflict and fighting unless it's the absolute last resort. 
Right. And so once they pretty much suppressed that, they were pretty successful in bringing the early mind control technology and means and, and basically was word of mouth and, and through fear, you know, just terrorism, intimidation and just brutality. Because if you look at the Inquisition, if you look at uh, those type of practices, the brutality, it's almost like they're bringing it back and and they've made us in a subliminal way almost cheer that stuff. I mean, look at all the the the, the programs that that they promote vampirism. Right. And that kind of zombieism. I mean that and right. that's that's not coincidental. Right. But I, I gotta let my, my listeners know that we're talking with Catherine Austin Fitz. She's a former managing partner and director of Dylan Reed and Company, which was a very influential Wall Street um, investment banking firm. She was in the administration under Secretary of uh, Housing and Urban Development under the first Bush. She's an entrepreneur and she's a spiritual warrior. And you can see more of her at Solari.com, www.solari.com. Just go into your browser and and type her name in and you'll see what we're talking about. When we talk, the longer we talk, the more I can drag out of you. So now you said <laughs> <laughs> So now you said we're dealing with aliens. So what does that mean for well, would I say No, I'm talking about an alien consciousness. Aliens. Yeah, no, I'm an alien consciousness. Um right. so what does that mean for the average person and when when people like us try to talk to them about what needs to be done? Well, I think the average person is overworked and overwhelmed in many respects. They're just trying to get through the day. And, um, you know, I think the average person believes that there's no percentage in trying to get to know what's going on because it increases your risk. Right, right. Um, and then, you know, what happens is you get taken advantage of one too many times and finally you decide, okay, I need an honest map of what's going on because I got to navigate. I got to know how to practice predator evasion. And so I need a reasonable map. And, you know, interestingly enough, one of the reasons that I always go back to studying spiritual warfare is if you can find a great church with great spiritual warfare teaching, what's amazing is um, without ever telling you specifically what's going on, uh, they can tell you exactly what's going on. You know, but but they can always say, well, you know, I wasn't saying yeah, anything parables. about what was going on. I was talking yep. about David 2,000 yeah. years ago, you yeah. know. So it's very subtle how it's done, but they really help you understand the, you know, the power of the interdimensional forces and then sort of the politics and how to deal with them. One of my favorite uh, books that I give everybody is the uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, The Screwtape Letters, because they're absolutely genius, are certain protocols that if we follow those protocols with ourselves and with the people that we associate with, we can protect ourselves from a lot of this. And I have seen, you know, it's interesting, if you look at the great black churches, they have backed up the genocide plan so many times. It's miraculous. It's just really miraculous. There's a reason they wanted a black president to front for them, you know, and it's because that whole world has earned enormous respect in the broader community. And uh, because of their ability to stand and be righteous in the face of, you know, complete lack of righteousness. So, 
there are cultures and places we can go learn and train and, and that stuff really works. It really, I mean, it's the reason I'm alive. Well, it's, it's universal. Uh, different cultures call it different things and they, they, right. they imply, they, they employ the principles differently, but it's universal. The one thing I will say, I think that uh, Mr. Obama is a Manchurian type person. Yeah, I do too. Know, uh, and they plucked him out. He early on, they they trained him. They they did all the things that they had to do, particularly to give him some kind of credibility, right? And to, and to run him out there. Now, I'm not saying that they didn't want, because sometimes they they play games, as you know, they play games of brinkmanship. They'll put people out there, and okay, they they have somebody that they want, but if everybody that they've recruited is is probably on the same level, they're just as psychopathic. And it doesn't right, matter who McDonald's wins. McDonald's or Burger King. Yeah, you know, right, which, right. Which you want. Right. Yeah, which one do you want? <laughs> you want fries with that? You know, that kind of thing. Right. <laughs> so, uh, and so he just happened to emerge and they could use him because basically he was an unknown and they marketed him brilliantly. Right. Know, so Major, major entrainment technology in front of audiences that didn't know that stuff existed. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And uh, basically, the thing is, with the entrainment, uh, it was going on as he was being marketed. So people were being mesmerized. They were duped. They bought they drank the Kool-Aid. And to this day, a lot of a lot of them, particularly the one, unfortunately, a lot of black folks, they're loathe to admit that they made a mistake. You know, it's almost like, well, how did that happen? You know, they, right. don't, they don't even understand how it happened, but it's, it's mind control. Right. Right. That's why I say understanding mind control technology, understanding that exists. You know, I'll never forget the first time I was in a speech where they were using mind control technology. I walked in genius and I realized, oh, they're using mind control technology. I read enough and seen enough about the technology to know, you know, that it was happening, but I'd never been in a speech when it was directed at me. And I organized myself during the speech to try and make sure, you know, I didn't let it affect me. And at one point I was taking notes and sort of let my mind wander. And mm, suddenly I found yeah, myself, yep, I put down my pen yep. and started clapping, saying, this guy's <laughs> wonderful. And I was like looking at my hands and I said, no, he's not. He's terrible. Why am I doing this? It was really scary because I knew and yet I fell for it just for a couple seconds. But that's what happened. very powerful. Yeah, but that's what happens. You have to be on constant vigilant right. guard. Because they will right. find a way to allow you to let your guard down. And in that moment, you right. know, you still get their message. Right. So. Right. It's very, and that's one of the reasons I love money, is money is a mathematical system, you know, where there's very concrete evidence, whether it's working or not. So if their money's going up and mine's going down, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, not all the entrainment in the world can necessarily overcome. <laughs> right, right. Well, but then, right. but, but, but what, what you've seen is now, obviously, they rigged the elections. So that, that, you, that's one explanation of it. But when you see people vote against their best interests, you know something's wrong. And like we talked about before, where they use the, part of the entrainment is they use the hot button issues. Just like they right, do and what the- scared me during this election 
was, you know, I've seen a lot of racist stuff engineered in the in the media and in the body politic, but I have never seen anything like the last three weeks of, I call it the Ebola Shriekometer. Mm-hmm. And and it was absolutely raw, uncut a message. You know, black people bring disease, and you know, so you want to vote for the Republicans because, you know, the Democrats have given you a black president. And here's the thing: the tactic worked. Well, but it that's not new. Worked. But that wasn't new. If you go back and look at how they rolled right. out the AIDS uh, message, right? It was black people. It was monkeys and black people. Now. Right. If, if you're familiar with how they uh, campaign uh, their, you know, racist equating black people to be subhuman, that's that's a classic. And so, again, you go back to Africa and a lot of black people have been brainwashed against Africa. So that puts us on the defensive. Right. And, you know, and then when you couple that and we've spoken about this before. And you couple that with the assault against the athletes with the domestic abuse. And you had Michael Brown, but you but they they tried to use the same tactic they used with the Trayvon Martin. They tried to criminalize and demonize him. And then with Bill Cosby. And so, you know, black people are we're under a massive assault right now. Right. And that assault's about to get much heavier in 2015. And because one of the things I would love to talk with you, and maybe we have to do another show, is how do we turn the turn things around? How do we outwit the situation? Because my fear is 2015, it's going to go to another level against all low income, but it's certainly going to hit the black community very, very hard. And, um, and I think no, I'll tell you a funny thing. This is uh, I'm going to get a little wacky on you here, Junius. I saw a video once of a guy who I don't know or necessarily trust. Um, he seemed to make a lot of sense, but he was one of these guys who believes the alien exists, and I don't know if that's true or not. And what he said was that uh, the aliens really had a problem with black people because they were too smart and harder to control. And you can laugh at that if you want, and now I'm going to say a very racist thing, but one of the things I used to do at Hamilton was I used to always try and team up African-American employees with Chinese employees because the Chinese were great at the engineering and the sort of explicit stuff, mm-hmm. but the African-Americans had the best strategic insight. You know, they understood what was important. They had the best intuitive intelligence on the essence of the thing. And and it, they were the hardest people to trick of anybody in the group. And so, uh, you know, I hate to tell you, I think if you look at one of the reasons the African-American community is being targeted, it's because they have an intelligence and they have uh, something that is going to make it much harder for the people trying to, you know, do what they're doing to get away with it. So, well, yeah. Uh, well, part the, of it is, is too... They have wearied of trying to wipe us out physically. Now, part of it is they've done it with the psychotropic drugs. They've done it with crack cocaine. They've done it with alcohol. They've done it with a lot of external devices. But I think part what they're going to work on now is this, like we just were talking about, the electromagnetic 
the the spiritual the the energy and the consciousness that's in the air and our receptors in our body they're they're i think they're going to try to re-engineer that some kind of way right and so it's the transhumanism and it's the same in the white population so i think the conversation we all need to have is okay how do we shift the game because it is spiritual warfare how do we shift the game and how do we turn the turn the table on the whole thing so you know because it's it's coming it's here ferguson was you know you know part of this next step up and i for one uh I, I, you know, I don't know. I never give up, Junius. I just, uh, <laughs> well, I, I think we, I, my favorite sermon says, my God is a big God. He can do anything. So I don't think it's going to work. And I want to be part of seeing if we can't shift the whole game. Well, uh, you know, the news cycle is only, they only keep something on. If, if you know, the, the old, the Rahm Emanuel, no crisis goes on un, <laughs> unused. <laughs> So it, it was a crisis, but they've 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 tired of it, and I, I'm I'm wanting to keep an eye on the ground because there's some righteous young people there. Now there are also some agent provocateurs there, but right. I think I think the the young people have hit on something. Number one, that they, they, I don't know if you paid any attention to it. They ran Jesse Jackson and uh, Al Sharpton out. Oh, you're then, kidding! Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, so I think they because they're the ones that are there, and I haven't been able to identify who they are. Uh, but I, my concern is that they don't uh, allow the agent provocateurs to get in and, and wreck stuff. Well, that's you know one of the things that needs to happen is if we can teach the kids how the covert ops works, and they can get that understanding and knowledge. Uh, you know, that's part of helping to shift it because the local folks, by the time they figure out what's going on, it's too late. Well, it's, it's you know, we can sit there and say, uh, be weary of, you know, COINTELPRO to co covert ops. But I always assume that we've been infiltrated. Any, any, any meeting I'm yes. in, any, it's like, uh, they're here. So we just have to move on and accept that reality and move on. Right, you. It's open source activism. Yeah, you, yeah. You can't. You can't keep secrets. It's not going to work. Mm -mm, yeah, and I think for me, I know a lot of people criticize them. I think the Occupy kids did it the better way. They were asymmetric. There was no leader that they could pinpoint, right. and thereby knock him off or her off, and then that that's it. Right. Right. You have to be, it has to be completely uh, without a center. Right, right. Right. Yeah. Yep, you have to have a, a moving target and, and someone uh, do it in a way that, that they're so confused they don't know who to shoot at. Well, that's the one of the advantages of trying to do everything in total integrity is if you can get enough people acting in integrity on an open source model or operating in tiny groups that come together and then pull apart, um, you know, then, then there is no there there. Right. So right. It, it comes down to, uh, 
you really need a glue that holds you together that's spiritual and cultural, and your organization can be very dynamic and freewheeling. Now, you t- in, in your article, uh, Dylan Reed and Company Incorporated and the Aristocracy of the Stock uh, Profits, you explain and you use an example of R.J. Reynolds' company in money laundering and the collusion between uh, corporate um, big wigs, corporate professionals like attorneys, accountants, lawyers, uh, financiers, and organized crime and the uh, underground or shadowy economy. Where do you see things going again? Because my again, my question is that's as you point out, that's cash in hand that they can right. take somewhere and launder and use. But what about all this this debt that's being created and people are being induced even now again to get into debt? So what does that mean for? The economy, you hear these people talking about, well, and, and you hear it every year, the economy is going to crash. The fact of the matter is it is unsustainable. So at what at what point does it collapse? And what does it mean for the... I don't, I don't think it has to collapse. It is possible to collapse sections or, or pockets of the population without the economy collapsing. That's the bad news. Um, what would that look? I mean, see, I, see, when I tell people things like this are coming, I say, "Think Katrina without the water." So, what would that right. look like? You know, in in your mind. Well, I think we've had a slow burn where you you're systematically sort of harvesting different parts of the population and squeezing their assets down to nothing, and that's been going on for a long time, and it's going to continue. You know, you have you have certain parts of the population that are getting wealthier and other parts that are getting poorer. So you're basically consolidating wealth into, into a small group of people, including corporations. And it's a, it's a way of taking up the savings rate that's forced. Um, But one of the, the big drivers genius, and this is something I really focused a lot in the, in the, um, in the annual wrap up this year is right now, if you look at the percentage of global consumption of the United States, it is a much greater percentage than our percentage of the population. And if you look at India and China, their consumption is a much smaller percent of their percent of the total population. So the U.S. is way over consuming. Um, you know, we have a much bigger piece of the pie than is appropriate on a per capita basis relative to Asia. Asia's rising. And the problem of the leadership, if you and I became Secretary of the Treasury tomorrow, we take one look at the numbers and say, okay, how do we cut America's consumption? And so whatever the squeeze has been, it's about to get much worse. Um, are you, are you could, saying that that's going to be a strategy? Because what I see is that they have this thing that progress we have to more and more and more they they just want to drive uh consumption and debt up it seems to me it's just that well, people can't afford you know you have all these different com- uh corporations competing for you know consumers and we're still organized as a consumer society but the reality of the long term numbers is that uh we have to massively increase productivity which the oil and gas has helped, but we've got to massively decrease 
consumption as a percent of global. Now, that doesn't mean we do it all with our cutting back. Um, but the squeeze is definitely on. And I don't, I don't think the economy, the U.S. economy is necessarily going to collapse, but I, I think it's going to feel like collapse to a lot of the different people in it. So what would that look like for the so people what in Hickory it would Valley look like is, or the people in, uh, in Philly or New York? You're sitting in Philly. Suddenly a whole lot of white-collar jobs get outsourced abroad. Um, and a new factory starts, but it's all with robotics, so there are no right, jobs right, except for right, two engineers right, right. Um, who have graduate degrees in engineering. And um, and meantime, your expenses are rising, and you're, you know, you you or somebody in your family got laid off. So so you're subject to, you know, increased competition, both from very sophisticated automation. Or from you know sort of globalization mm-hmm. and the and mm-hmm. the push to drive mm-hmm. to parity, right. and so it's going to feel like you're you know you're going to be collapsing, but the economy is not going to be collapsing because they're keeping it going with globalization and automation. Right. Um, well, it's, it's interesting because um, my folks are from Virginia, so a lot of my father's people are from well Southampton County and one of the big uh, businesses in that area is the Smithfield meatpacking plant and it's, it's over uh-huh. in uh, Smithfield and the, the Chinese bought it and I believe that um, what some of my cousins told me is that they laid off a lot of people because they're they're moving into more automation so right and if you know anything about that area, it's it's still fairly rural. You know, I mean, yeah, they do. You know, it's it's not that far from Hampton and and Norfolk and Newport News and all that, but it's still over on, on pretty much on the rural side. We are about to get hit with a wave of automation, which is astonishing, and that's why uh, one of the things I constantly encourage is not just circulation of capital locally things like crowdfunding or all sorts of, you know, community venture funds, things like that. Um, but a focus on whether it's we're doing it to lower our expenses or because it's a good business, um, develop fresh and organic food because there are, you know, you want to look for businesses that can't get competed globally. It's something right, you need to right. do close by, you need mm-hmm. to do locally. And there are many different ways that we can have automation work for us. It doesn't just have to work for big corporations. But it's a matter of really sitting down and saying, okay, what can I do that lowers my expenses or makes something essential for my neighbor that improves their health, well-being, or financial situation, you know, that I can really make go as an economic matter. And because the, the wave of competition and the wave of automation that is coming starting in 2015 is astonishing. Well, how do you uh, encourage local people to uh, accumulate capital because there's a disincentive to save? I mean, if if you look at what's happening to poor people... I have to tell you, I've tried many, many things and I've failed completely. Mm, What I will tell you is that if everyone in America put into community venture funds what they're putting into the lottery right now, we would have <laughs> enough money to revitalize the small business economy in America. 
Yeah. But I've never been able to persuade them to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, because, you know, that, that get rich quick and that uh, lavish lifestyle, that's, that's what's promoted out there. You know, if, if we want to have lawful, righteous living, we can do it. If we want to have get rich quick, then we're all going to be poor. Yeah. 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 Because uh, there's a sucker born every day. <laughs> and too often I've been that sucker. Yeah. Well, I think we all have it, particularly when you look at how uh, the vultures and the predators are being rewarded. I mean, they right. never go to jail. Uh, they're, they're never really in it. I mean, the 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 most gross form of injustice was when they put Martha Stewart in jail for uh, supposed insider trading and all the people from WorldCom and Enron and all Well, but here's things. the thing, Junius. It was a brilliant political tactic because it said, okay, you want to hold, you want accountability? Fine. We'll take your sweetheart, your darling, and we'll kill her. And, you know, so, and if you want to push this, we'll find another sweetheart and we'll kill them, you know, so, right. it, you know, it, it, you know, it absolutely worked. I, I will say this, uh, you know, just, it's very hard, as you know, to try and do the right thing and watch people who do the wrong thing get very wealthy from it. But I just go back to uh, one of my favorite songs says, he is my portion. What you get for being righteous is you get the fact that over time, living that way is a deeply gratifying way to live. Yeah. But the, 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 uh, the, that's true. But if, if you're sitting at home and you're reading, you know, fret not yourself because of evildoers, because they, they will be soon cut off. And, and you're waiting to say, okay, when are they getting cut off? Here I am <laughs> scuffling. You know, these, guys are, these guys are getting rich. So you just have to be patient and understand that spirituality, and I'm not talking about religion, um, spirituality, consciousness, and, and right application of the spiritual principles uh, is is a whole lot different, and you have to be patient. Right, and you know something. It's not about ultimately. You know the the reward that's promised to you is not about uh, having material stuff. You know right, maybe you'll right, have that, right. and maybe you won't. But you know I'll I'll end up getting whatever God wants me to get. And uh, but I didn't come here to have a big house or to have a big. You know I was. That's not. That's not the meaning of life. And, and what, if that, to the extent that we let that become important, it says we've literally lost the very mm -hmm. best of Western yep. civilization. Yep. We've forgotten, you know, what's valuable. So, I well, mean, I, part of it is I grew up in a world where, you know, you use tinker toys to buy people off and being materialistic was, you know, just something that, you know, that was used to manipulate the hoi polloi. So I've never looked at having all those trinkets as being very, something to be proud of. No, but again, that entrainment, that's what we're being programmed to, right. to, 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 to seek after, to, to run after. And we're also being right. desensitized to our spirituality and, and humanity. So that's, that's what we're, we're right. facing. And it's like a fever. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's like yeah. a fever. That's why I don't live on the East Coast. That's why I live in a little rural farming community in Tennessee. <laughs> but, I mean, you, you hit on it when years ago when you, you talked about the tapeworm, and that's what we're seeing. We're, we're seeing 
an advanced stage of the toxicity of the tapeworm. Right. And the host is starting to wobble now. I mean, it's not dead, right. but it's starting to wobble now. Well, it's pulling back. The, 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 the Bretton Woods system and the system by which order was run globally is unraveling. And the Anglo-American Alliance is pulling back into North America and into its home turf. And the question is, will they be able to use the unraveling to their advantage? And I don't know how it will turn out. Well, uh, that's something because I think, uh, you know, there's people saying that it's, it's all part of a, a game for this supposed one world order, one world government. But I, I think that the coming brick ascension, Russia and China, and I think Russia will withstand what the United States is attempting to do to it. I think that that will be a good thing because they 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 don't seem to have uh, to use your analogy. You know, if, if the only tool that you have at your disposal is a hammer, you tend to treat everything like a nail. And I don't right. think the Russians and the Chinese will treat the world like nails. Whereas the Anglo-American, no, the, the, that's what they do. Yeah, the Russians, the Russians and the Chinese think much more strategically right now than we do, and I think the Russians are much more value players than, than you know, economic warfare players. But I do think if you look at what's going on, I think Putin is getting help from North America. My theory is, you know, Mr. Global was not pleased with the speed at which the U.S. was building out the global currency. And they like to see a little, you know, competition, and they they want to see redundant systems built faster. So, um, you know, I think both sides are getting used to a certain extent. Yeah, probably so. And I think one example would be Japan, because we we tend to we we really didn't understand what how the United States went into Japan and Germany and re-engineered their whole society, taking right. over their economy taking over their their government and I, I think that model has shown it's not working because they tried right. it in Af they they're trying it in Afghanistan and it's not working it's not working in Iraq so well the thing I'll tell you the thing that puzzles me the most if you watch Charlie Ferguson's wonderful um, documentary on on the occupation of Iraq we're watching behavior of the US leadership whether diplomatic behavior or military and occupation behavior, which is so debased and so primitive. you And it's funny because I saw similar behavior when I worked as Assistant Secretary of Housing. You know, you were talking about people who talked and acted like thugs. And it was scary because um, it was so... Uh, it was so, I'm trying to think of a word. It was so um, thug-like. I, I can't think of the right <laughs> word. You knew that it wasn't going to, you know, ultimately it was, it was creating massive pushback and blowback unnecessarily. There was, you know, it was like using a hatchet saw instead of a scalpel when you do surgery. And you thought, why? Why are they behaving this way? Why are they, uh, you know, because this is a very stupid tactic. But they, they were so arrogant. Remember, 
when they sent Bremer over there, they they called him the proconsul. I mean, that's 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 straight up uh, imperialism and empire terminology. Right. And so they really right, didn't but care. remember, Junius, when Rome went someplace, they brought roads and bridges and infrastructure. Right. We're talking but about a get, Rome that, was that destroys back. the roads and bridges and infrastructure. Well, but some people say that they're destroying it so that their their buddies, the crony capitalism, can get the contracts to build the stuff back up. But, but they're not, not doing. It. I know. They're I was not, just about to say we're not seeing up. it. No, we're not seeing it. So yeah, um, yeah. So the whole the whole picture um, is you know, and that's why we get back to talking about psychopath because you're talking about a demonic culture, right? And it's a culture, um, it's a culture, it's very interesting, when when we did a workshop in November and Dr. Joseph Farrell, who's really one of the great guests on the Solaria Report, was talking about how we have, you know, Bach wrote harpsichord, harpsichord music in 28 tracks, and yet they're trying to educate us so we can only operate one track. And if you listen to the music, a lot of it is just one track. Right. And if you look at these people, they can't function on anything but one track. They're not, they can't deal with the complexity. When I used to do government reengineering, we would uh, go to extraordinary lengths to deal in very precise ways with the complexity, like it was surgery. And yet a lot of the people I'd work with in Washington would couldn't deal with that complexity. They wanted to take everything to one track and it would always get them in trouble. And you thought there's something emotionally or culturally or genetically wrong with these folks well i think it's it's part the additives they're putting in the food the water the poison the echo side it's all of that it's the um, mind control the entrainment is not just on the neural linguistic level uh and subliminal level right. it's, it's it's everything and so that's right. what we're seeing um, right. Well, they what, couldn't. They they were not capable of dealing with reality. Well, but see, th- th- when you look at the characteristics of a psychopath, I mean, they're very charming. They're so, so supposedly superficially charming. They're glib. They are very manipulative. They know how to 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 get over on people. They have no moral uh, scruples whatsoever. They have all kinds of interpersonal issues. And, uh, you know, it, it gets worse as you go down, go down the list. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we're, we're looking at a lot of psychopaths. Uh, we're looking at a lot of people who have been duped. And like you said, they're in a position where they like the money. They like the reward. They like the adulation. Right. And some of them, like I said, like Obama, he's just a, a Manchurian. He's just, just controlled and handled. And, uh, He's going to be used and and discarded. And once he's discarded, he will have almost no credibility left on the planet. I think he knows that. Well, I think you can see that in his face. Yeah, well, I guess he figures he will retire to million dollar speaking fees. But I don't even think he'll he'll get that because he doesn't bring a lot. I, I think he'll get some of that. Not as much as the Clintons, but I think he'll get some of that. They don't, you know, they need to give him some of that to keep the credibility of the system going. But the, the system, he has no credibility anymore. That's the problem. He spent all his right. capital and only the diehard people who are getting paid 
to be his supporters and sycophants are uh, drinking the Kool-Aid. And unfortunately, a lot of black people who, because of our self-worth and because of our desire to be part of the system, be included, and we don't really understand how vile the inner sanctum really is, they, they still, they, 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 some of them still adoring. Right. Well, they think it's it's worth something to be in the room. Yeah, but you have to be constantly on guard. And once they know you're on guard, it's, it's you know, they treat you differently. And, if, if, and right. if they know you're honest, they treat you differently. Right. So what what's on the agenda for Solari and Catherine Austin Fitz for just say the first quarter of 2015? Well, this is the time of year when we, uh, when I stay in Hickory Valley and I do all the administrative work. You know, we do the regulatory compliance, taxes, things like that. So this is a very quiet period, the beginning of the year for me, and I'm going to stay quite steady. And then, um, as you know, in April, I'm hoping to come up to the East Coast, so I'm hoping to see you. Okay. But I'm very excited about 2015. I think it's for me and Solaria, it's going to be a very good year. And um, we, our sort of vision, we did a big strategic planning effort last year and came up with called Vision 2020, helping as many people as possible live free and inspired lives. And I just had an epiphany where I said, you know, I've got to stop thinking that I've got to work really hard and long hours to stop all this evil upon the planet. You know, there is no excuse for me not to, you know, have fun and be free and inspired as I do it. (laughs) Yeah, because if if you don't have balance, you'll you'll get sick. You know, you'll you'll be emotionally drained, psychologically drained, and you can easily physically become ill. Right. And the other thing I've decided to do is I'm going to try and find some more time to you know, I, I kind of pulled back and gave up trying to teach people about my ideas on how we revitalize the economy and get to something positive. Because if we're not willing to have an honest conversation about who's really in, in control and why are they behaving this way, you know, you can't get from here to there. Models right, don't right, help. Right. So so I kind of stepped back and for a couple of years I've been trying to focus everybody on asking the question what is the governance system and how do we figure that out and, and engaging with people who I think are doing a very good job of trying to figure it out. So, and that's what's caused us to do a lot on the black budget. But I think now I'm, now that I've done that and I've kind of everything that I could on that topic is kind of in the Solari report on up on the blog. I'm going to go back to, okay, now let's talk about economic, economic models that really could work. Okay. So I will encourage my listeners to, uh, go to Solari, purchase a s- subscription, and you know at least let it be a source of information that is as unfiltered as possible. We're all in the matrix, so none of us are escaping. You know, unless you <laughs> unless you have a constant stream of consciousness with the divine, and none of us are on that level yet. So, but anyway, it's it's been delightful. It's been a pleasure, and. Uh, we will definitely have you back again, and uh, we'll see how some of our ideas and prognostications turn out. Because uh, 
I believe 2015 is going to be very interesting. And the Chinese have a saying, may you live in interesting times. <laughs> so. Well, here's, here's one question for you, Junius. I think one of the ways that we could, we could help turn the, uh, you know, shift the game in a whole unexpected way is to support and teach the young people what's going on and how to, you know, how to navigate this in a way that gets them to wherever they want to go, whether it's in their lives or in terms of shifting the whole game. So think about how we might do that. Cause it seems to me that the wise elders need to help, you know, lay down some flack for the young people. Right. Because that was another one, one of the divide and conquer things. They right. created that whole age divide, <clears throat> you know, the, uh, generation gap right so you know once we once we beat the men and women then we got to beat the black and white but then we got to help the youngsters because the youngsters if the youngsters can wise up and if you look at some of the polls in, in terms of financial stuff they're very wise they know you know they know not to trust the system yeah because they see they how they've been dogged out they they believe yep. in the, the dream now they're ninety thousand dollars in debt yep you know, without a house. <laughs> right. So, okay. I will be in contact with you. You enjoy yourself. Stay warm. <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll enjoy the sunshine when it comes because it's coming. Okay. All it's right. coming. Yeah. Yeah. Thank Have you. Have a great you. weekend, Junior. You too. You. It was great talking to you. As we close out the program, we want to thank Catherine Austin Fitz for being our guest. We encourage you to check out her website, www.solari.com. That's S O L A R I.com. We covered a lot. We talked about current events, looking at what we feel needs to be done. And when we talk about spirituality and spiritual warfare, some folks might see that that is an oxymoron or, or uh, a contradiction. But we are engaged in competing paradigms. We have a paradigm of those people that uh, we both alluded to as aliens, meaning they, their, their consciousness, their values are alien to the best interests of humanity. And they're engaged in an attempt to usurp the order. I call them Luciferians because some of them, as documented by those who chronicle what they do and what they profess to be about, they call themselves the illuminated ones, the Illuminati, and they worship Lucifer. I also call them the Sethians because they remind me of Seth or Set in the African psychodrama the Asara Set, where Set attempted to depose his brother and establish his own order as opposed to the divine order. He attempted to usurp the authority of his brother and impose his own reign and will and go against the divine order. And there was major battle, just like in the story of Lucifer. There was battle in heaven and heaven metaphysically talks about consciousness in the realm of ideas and ideation and potentiality. And so there was a battle there. And of course, Lucifer in the biblical account was thrown out. In the Asarian drama, there's battle. And 
because he was older, uh, he got the best of Haru, and Haru had to call upon the Netchers for assistance. The Netchers are the divine forces. Seth put out Haru's eye, and he was forced to call on Tahuti to get the insight, intuition, and divine truth to help him defeat his uncle. And, of course, at the end, you have a reconciliation and you have the restoration of the order. Uh, Seth is not killed. He's just put in check. He's put in his place and Heru and righteousness prevail and Osar is brought back to life and he becomes the overlord and the overseer of the day of judgment. So that's where Christianity, Islam get a lot of their dogma from. But at any rate... We thank you for logging on. We thank Catherine Austin Fitz for being our guest. Until next time, engage in mental decolonization. Free your mind. The rest will follow. Cyberspace is the place that no army with artillery invades. You've been listening to the Cyberspace Sanctuary, a safe house for your mind on the Blake Radio Network with Junius Ricardo Stanton. Thank you for logging on. We invite you to tune in again and engage in mental decolonization. Free your mind. The rest will follow. That no corporation incorporates. No denominations, faith dominates, and no court is going to try any case. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.